Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. I can't believe we're doing this again. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Doing what again? This. The show? Yeah. What were you, did you think we were done? I'm so tired. Are you? I'm so tired, Chuck. <laughs> I'm discouraged to know that you hate Tom Petty. <laughs> oh, I hate him. Mr. Petty, I'm sure you're a genuinely nice guy, but I can't stand your music. Oh, I love Tom Petty. That's great. I hope you love him enough for both of us. I do. That's fine. I just, I'm, I'm not surprised because you don't dig a lot of that sort of classic rock stuff. Uh, that's not true. You Born know. and raised, 38 special fan, buddy. Are you really? <laughs> yeah, they're okay. I like plenty of classic rock, except Led Zeppelin. Uh, you don't AC like Led DC. Zeppelin. You don't like AC. Um, I don't hate ACDC. I just don't really. Whatever, you know. Uh, what else don't I like? <laughs> Wait, let's do this the other way. Here's the classic rock I do like. Okay. The Doors. Meh. Your eye just twitched. Did it? Yeah. <laughs> Jim Morrison does that to me. Um, let's see. Uh, I guess that's about it. The Doors. Yeah, I used to like <laughs> The Grateful Dead, as you know. Sure. But I don't anymore. Well, this has been a scintillating start. <laughs> do you want to record over this? No, no. I think this is good. So, um, ahoy, Chuck. Ahoy. Um, we're going to be talking like that a lot, like uh, scurvy sea dogs. Yes, our... Um Not pirates. It's scurvy sea dogs. Big difference. Aye. Um, that was a Scotsman. They sailed. <laughs> they definitely did. <laughs> um, I have an intro. Let's hear it. And it was a gift from you, so thank you for this. Oh, the news recently? Yeah. Good. Let's talk about that. So the Japanese... Um, were very sad when they came back to Japan from Antarctica and said, we only caught 267 whales, which is way less than the 900 we plan to, to catch this season. Catch and kill is what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they left, they left Japan in December and, uh, came back very recently, um, at the beginning of March because whale season was virtually over in Antarctica, even though, there's a couple of weird things here. Yeah. Uh, Antarctica is one of the places in the world where whales are protected internationally. Supposedly. And number two, whale hunting's outlawed. This isn't like GB year zero yeah. where you can just go and whale commercially. Right. Um, instead, it's 2012, and Japan still managed to kill 267 whales. Yeah. Now- um, for people who are fans of whales, I'm a fan of whales. Isn't everyone? Uh, no. Who's like stupid whales? They deserve it. I'm sure whalers. No, I think they just have a, you know, an industry that they're trying to keep going. Um, and I want to clarify, uh, when we say whaling, mm-hmm. we're talking about whale killing expeditions, not whale watching expeditions, just yeah. to clarify to people <laughs> like my wife. Sure. Um, so, uh, the the Japanese whaling season ended prematurely, right? They packed up their harpoons and went home. Thanks to the efforts of a, a group known as Sea Shepherds. <laughs> known as Sea Shepherds. Yeah. Sea Shepherds sell seashells by the seashore. They're a, a militant. Uh, they're described as a militant environmental uh, group. 
Have you seen their boats? Are they the ones that are painted like uh, Death from Above style? They have um, they have the logo uh, Jolly Roger Skull and Crossbones, mm-hmm. but the, one of the bones is a trident, and the other is like a shepherd's hook. That's it's pretty nice. cool. Uh-huh. But even cooler, it's painted on the side of boats that look like Batmobiles. Yeah, that's the ones I've seen. Yeah, pretty cool. I, I believe they have a show on our our um, parent mother company, uh, Discovery, who keeps us warm in her embrace and suckles us from her teat. Whale Wars? Yeah. That's got to be it, right? Yeah, that's them. I've never seen that. Don't say that. I love that show. I've seen it every night. I I love that (laughs) show, too, and all of its commercial sponsors. (laughs) So they show up. They say, we're going to throw our ropes in your propellers, and we're going to launch stink bombs at your boat and to, to, to... to thwart your whole operation. Right. Basically. And the Japanese retaliated using water cannons, throwing harpoons, yeah. grappling hooks, bamboo uh, spears. It's like dicking Disney. it out out there. Yeah. But what's crazy is the Sea Shepherds, they came out on top. I mean, there were at least 600 and change whales that didn't lose their lives this year. Yeah. Um, because, and the Japanese said, uh, they call them saboteurs, not activists. Yeah. Um, but I love that because word. these they were harassed the whole time. Yeah. So it's working. That's a huge victory. Sure. But um, whaling, I, I, I'm out there. I'm putting us out there, dude, because I, I think for most of our listeners in America, there's a lot of sympathy for whales. This isn't a whaling country, although um, there is whaling in the U.S. by indigenous groups up Alaska way. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Are they still allowed? Are they grandfathered in? Yeah, there's about uh, 300 a year, roughly. Is, uh, they take about 300 whales a year. Or no, I'm sorry, less than 100. That, I mean, I feel like a jerk saying that's not bad. But compared to the old numbers, that's really not bad. Right, exactly. Which uh, we'll get to. Right. Um, so I think that there's a lot of sympathy for whales. Yeah, apparently in Japan, even the younger generation, they're having a hard time talking them into being on board, even though Japan, which we'll talk about, is is skirting some of these laws to continue yeah. to whale. And Japan is a whaling country, has been a whaling country since the 17th century. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the idea of killing a whale has gotten more and more stomach-churning over the year. Agreed. So let's talk about how to do it. Okay. Uh, should we go to the history first? I didn't talk to you about this beforehand like we normally do. We Sometimes we do. So, Chuck. We never do. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about history. I think that's a good idea. Okay. Where did whaling start? Uh, it started in uh, Spain and uh, northwest Spain and southwest France by the Basques. Well, that's commercial whaling. Oh, well, you're, you're talking about just uh, Nanook of the North out there with this harpoon? Sure. Yeah, indigenous folks. Yeah, or Santook of the South. Yeah. Um, there's good whaling down Antarctica way. Well, it still is. Yeah. Um but not just them. The Norwegians have long been a, a whaling culture. Same with the Icelandic. Yeah, true. Russians. And, and they still, in Iceland and Norway, right? They're still at it. Yeah. Norway, not degree. so much these days. Oh, really? Or they're at the very least getting a little more aware. Wow. All right. So getting back to the Basques, uh, the first commercial whaling operations, um, as early as 1000 AD in the Bay of Biscay. And then, of course, everyone else saw what was going on, jumped on board. Uh, England and in, uh, in uh, North America in the early 1600s, Japan 1675, mm-hmm. the U.S. finally off Nantucket 1712. So this this article kind of skirts over some really big stuff here. 
Like it basically goes from Nantucket to Svenfoin. And when you jump, make that jump, you leave out the entire golden age of whaling. Right? 150 years. Yeah. Yeah. So when you reach Nantucket, the, you, you encounter, um, and there's a, this awesome Kim Burns like two part series on um, whaling. If you're ever interested, oh yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. I like Kenny Burns. Um, you like this one, but uh, Nantucket became like the whaling capital of the world. Sure, and thereby also became the commercial um, engine of the world because whaling and w- whale oil uh, came about at a time when the Industrial Revolution hit. And whale oil was to the world what fossil fuel oil is today. Yeah, pre-petroleum, it was petroleum. Yeah, like it much. literally is what the world ran on and what we lit yeah. artificially our world with, right? That's right. So um, New Bedford specifically and Nantucket were like the what Saudi Arabia is today. And whales out there in the ocean were basically like floating pieces of oil-rich real estate that anybody with a ship could go claim. Is that why that area is so still so uh, dollar-heavy? Probably. Is that what got them going to begin with, I wonder? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And it, from like 1750 to 1850, it was like one of the richest places in the world. Wow. Yeah. So you can't quite skip over that. No. It's definitely worth mentioning. That's right. Those cold uh, Atlantic waters up there, fertile ground for whales. I imagine. Yeah, and they started out by just um, harvesting whales that washed up ashore. But um, that would have been a nice way to just keep it that way. It was, but then the Industrial Revolution hit, and they're like, oh, whale oil really burns well. We can make candles out of it. Right. If I dab some behind my ears, I'll use as a perfume. I'll smell like a stinky whale. Right, exactly. Yeah, but it is in uh, perfume and cosmetics and stuff like that, right? Yeah, it, it is. It is. I think it probably still is in some. In Japan. All right, so are we ready for Sven? Sure. The Norwegian uh, pioneer Sven Foyne, which is a great name, uh, he launched the first steam-powered whaling ship in 1863 and then invented a little something that really changed everything called the harpoon cannon, which yeah. is uh, pretty awful. It, it not You know, you harpoon a whale by hand up until that point, right. and then now all of a sudden you could shoot a harpoon with a cannon that would explode inside the whale. Right. Crazy. Sven Foyne is pretty much single-handedly the reason why we have such depleted and endangered whale stock today. And I guess it didn't mess up the whale too much with the explosion. And Hopefully it was over. Because prior to that, um, killing a whale is very difficult when you are hand-throwing a harpoon, right? Sure. And that's how they did it. Yeah. Um, so you had a bunch of guys in little tiny boats, like all throwing... Spears, yeah, not necessarily harpoons, because the harpoon was used to tow the whale back once it was dead. Right, but like a spear, um, and the only way to kill it was to spear it in uh, its gills. Right, so that eventually it was stabbed enough that it would um, aspirate and choke on its own blood. That's awful. And it took a while, and it would swim about pretty pretty heavily for a little bit. It's called a flurry. Yeah, and then it would just go on its side, fin up. And that's how you knew the whale was dead, and you harpooned it, yeah. and all the whale boats towed it back to the boat for processing. So hopefully it, that explosion just killed it immediately, but I'll bet it didn't. Yeah, but at the very least, it must not have messed it up for harvesting right. and processing, Yeah, or else they probably wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned the, the threshing about. Uh, 
very dangerous job back then. Definitely. I imagine it still is to a certain degree. Sure. But back then, on those little boats, a large whale, much larger than your boat, uh, thrashing about, it's going to capsize you. You could drown. You could slip on the boat with the blubber and the blood everywhere. Yeah, because, I mean, well, think about this. You have a whale ship, right? And that's where, like, everybody lives and stays. Yeah. But to go hunt the whale when you're actually killing the whale, yeah. you're in a whale boat, and that's basically, like, the size of a rowboat. Yeah. And that's what you're in with with the whale, like, get off of me, get. Exactly. Yeah. So lots of dudes died. Uh, and then there's the disease, of course, going to exotic and gross ports of call. <laughs> right. Tuberculosis, what else? Yellow fever, malaria. Pretty much, I would imagine, the whole gambit. The whole gambit of seafaring port yeah. disease. Yeah. Scurvy, rickets. VD. Right. Let's get real. Yeah. Um, and like you said, Savin uh, had a direct hand in leading to uh, the depletion of the population. And starting in the early 1900s, things really started going south for the whale. Yeah. Numbers-wise. Yep. You want to rattle off a few of these? Yeah, so... Like this is Sven Foyne, everyone. This is Sven Foyne's work. I'd lay this clearly at his feet. In 1904, um, 184 whales uh, were killed off of the South Atlantic island of South Georgia, right? Right. Within 10 years, um, it jumped to so 184, right? Yeah. Within 10 years, um, just blue whales alone, 1,738 were killed. 4,776 fin whales and 21,894 humpbacks were killed in that same area. Within one decade. Yeah. And that's just in that one area. And also, you, you will note that blue whales and fin whales used to be out of the reach of um, any kind of whale ship. Yeah, were they too fast? Yeah. Yeah. And they could uh, outmaneuver and out, outrun any ship that was chasing them until Sven Foyne introduced the steam-powered whaling ship. Right. So it was just the sperm whales at first, is that right? Right. And sperm whale also, by the way, is what they were looking for mainly because sperm oil was the best oil available. It burned the cleanest and the brightest. And sperm uh, whales also had something called spermacetti, which is like this waxy substance in their head that you could use to cut the whale oil into candles that worked really well. It was just like the the best stuff. It was also way more valuable than regular whale oil. Yeah. Um, how much uh, did they produce? I had this here. Oh, they had like... Um, 25 to 40 barrels and there's like, of whale oil per whale, per sperm whale. Yeah. And that like, barrel was 31 and a half gallons. Yeah, so it's... I did the math somewhere. Oh, 1,260 gallons. Per sperm whale. Yeah. Wow. And they would use every part of the whale... We'll at least give them that. It's not like shark fin soup where right. they cut off the shark fin and then dump the shark back in the water. That's so wrong. They would try to use every part of the whale for sustenance. Um, so I guess we're going back to the beginning again, which is why did they do this to begin with? Yeah. Because they couldn't grow veggies in a lot of the, these places. So whale was like what they subsisted on. Subsided yeah. on? Subsisted. Subsisted on. Subsided happened after they ran out of whale. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um so, you know, it's got a lot of protein, iron, niacin, vitamins A, D, C. Yeah. And so it's just, like good stuff for them. Right. And they figured out early on that they could burn the blubber too, right, to light and heat their igloos. Yeah. Make uh, sleds. It would help making sleds and tools. Yeah. Out of uh, baleen whales' teeth, I guess um, I should make air quotes, yeah. teeth, um, you can use it for all sorts of stuff. Imagine bones too. Yeah. And so, th- this yeah. was back in the day, though, like before commercially. And there's a long tradition of using all parts of the whale. But 
there's a huge difference between even a massive commercial enterprise like that were like the ones that were launched off of Nantucket mm-hmm. that required sail power yeah. and uh, hand thrown harpoons and then steam powered boats and harpoon guns with yeah. explosive tips there's a big difference yeah huge difference and then the global demand also just kind of changed everything too yeah japan um post war post world war 2 uh they relied a lot on whales for for food they were um pretty poor at the time after the war trying to put the pieces back together and whales uh, were a big part of that on the school lunch menu up into the 1960s even. Yeah. Although it's not supposed to taste very good, is it? It's supposed to taste, it says in this article, like either reindeer or moose. Yeah, that's a guy from Slate tried it, I guess. Yeah. And that's what he had to say. Yeah. And it's not heavily spiced out of tradition, right? Uh, that is in uh, Norway, Iceland, and Alaska. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. In Japan, they spice the heck out of it. I guess so. <laughs> I'm sure they they serve it as sashimi, which would mean that they probably don't. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. There's a lot of a uh, sh phoneme tongue twisters in this one for me. You alright? No. We'll we'll persevere. So th- we're no longer running on um, any kind of. Uh, our our economy doesn't run on whale oil any longer. No, we're now raping the earth of petroleum. <laughs> but at least it doesn't, you know, have babies. Yes, true. <laughs> we'll or babies. Yeah. Um, so uh, why are we still killing whales? Uh, well, in Japan, they have a loophole um, under Article 8 of the International Convention of the Regulation of Whaling that says that they are allowed to kill for research purposes. Technically, and, anybody is. Yeah. But, well, yeah, and Japan's the only one taking them up on it, saying, yeah, well, this is for research. Yes. But that is disputed. Yes, because, really, the only um, use these days for whales is meat. Right. So Japan, um, is uh, through this international convention, they're not the only ones who can use um, whale hunting for scientific research as a reason to kill whales, right? right. Um, but yeah, they're they're roundly criticized for it because there's other techniques that other countries use to study whale populations that don't require um, the whale to die. Well, I don't get that to begin with because what they're studying is, what they're trying to prove is that there are actually more whales than people are saying. That's one of the things they're saying. One of the other things, and I should say that the, my source for this was Greenpeace. Right. Um, but they said... They were saying that Japan routinely uses study study samples of f- populations of like 500 uh-huh. whales from the same area, which is a terrible way to study like a species. Right. Um, and they are examining their stomach contents to find out about whale diets. Oh, uh, okay. And then they'll say, oh, well, these whales eat a lot of salmon, and salmon's a very commercially important um fish so we should kill more whales right right um the if you look at the australians they study whale diets too but they track whale feces and they also study whale habits by keeping them alive and get more data by keeping them alive by just tagging them yeah and they're one of the countries that's come out uh, hardest against japan yeah uh, and condemning them right yeah yeah, the Australians were like, good, I'm glad you guys made it back safely and early from your uh, whale hunting season <laughs> right. this year. Exactly. So the Japanese are 
very much criticized for exploiting this, but under international law, they, they can do this. And um, I guess the provision that allows scientific whaling says if you catch a catch and kill a whale for scientific purposes, you have to use the whole whale. Sure. So they're saying, well, we've got to sell this as food. Right, right. The the That's a huge loophole because it's basically like, yeah, if you say we're – well, here's this here's this study we're carrying out. You can just conduct commercial whaling, which is what they're doing. Right. So, um, in 1925, now they were start. They already were processing. Is that what you said earlier? They were already processing on board before 1925. Yeah. So what happened then? Did it just the factory ships made it even easier? They were just more outfitted with it. Yeah, they were kind of like DIY processing whales beforehand but they were definitely doing it during like the golden age off of nantucket where like you would capture a whale harpoon it all of the guys who'd just been fighting this thing for like hours yeah would row it back to the ship and they'd attach it with chains to the ship and then start skinning it like layer by layer yeah they said it's like peeling an, an orange skin and uh they would carve it up into blanket pieces there were a ton a piece yeah and like then, some guys died from that. That was one of the oh, ways yeah. people died. Was getting crushed by like a slab of blubber. Oh sure, a ton of whale blubber falling on you. <laughs> yeah. That's not a good way to go. No. Um, and then they would haul these blanket pieces up and then divide them into what they call horse pieces. My guess is that that was about the size of a horse. Sure, probably could still kill you. I imagine you die going ew. <laughs> then they would uh, boil, uh, boil out, extract, uh, extracting the blubber, the oil from the blubber. And this is all done on board, like, with big iron pots and stoves. Yeah. Pretty gnarly. Yeah. And um, there's blood everywhere. There's oily blubber everywhere. Yeah. So one of the one of the great um, dangers of the job was slipping on deck and falling overboard. Oh, sure. And don't think that the waters around the ship while they were skinning the, the um, whale weren't just infested with sharks. Yeah. So that was a very dangerous part, too. Uh, so once they had the uh, oil um, extracted from the blubber, they would actually go ahead and put it in the casks, stow it down in the hold, yeah. try and clean up the mess, even though there really is no cleaning up that mess. No, apparently not. And um, then they just start over again. And like a whaling expedition, dude, was years long. Oh, really? They went for years. Like they just go out there because they could do this all um, – aboard their ship. And would they just live on the whale the whole time? They usually had provisions. I'm sure they would stop in Tortuga and pick up some provisions and some VDs or whatever. Some beans and venereal disease right. to go with their whale. And um, and then, you know, go on their way. But, like, they would be away from home for years at a stretch. <laughs> yeah. It was a crazy life. All right. So let's uh, flash forward a bit. Um Factory ships in 1925 were introduced, which really ramped up the killing. And uh, 60 years, in the 60 years following that, more than 2 million whales were killed in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. So that's when people, uh, countries, the League of Nations specifically, sat up and said, you know what? In 1931, we should put together some sort of legislation to regulate this. Yeah. Which is pretty cool for... 1931, if yeah, you think about it. Yeah. Sure. 26 countries got on board, um, except for Japan, Germany, and Russia. Uh, then 10 years later, uh, in 19, I'm sorry, five years later, they established the International Agreement for Regulation of Whaling. 
And again, uh, Japan said no thanks. And that year there was a record high of 46,039 whales killed in the Antarctic alone. Yeah. It still is the record. Yep. And, you know, they've tried these different things over the years, but basically what I gathered was there was never any enforcement. No. The the IWC has no teeth. They have baleen. That's it. So they can't really, they can't do any, <laughs> that was off the cuff. Too. Was it really? Yeah. Okay. Um, well done then. They can't do anything. Like, you can sit there and make up regulations all day. Yeah. But Japan can just say, no, we're not going to do it. Iceland right. could be like, hey, that would hurt our economy. Sorry. We understand that you feel for the whales, but we're whaling. So That's right. what are you going to do? And they say, oh, yeah, we forgot there's no sanctions that we can carry out against you. We can we're just condemn. We're going to whale police. We can condemn it. Yeah, yeah. there's no whale police except uh, the Sea Shepherds, but they're rogue. Yeah. They do a good job. Apparently. Whether or not you agree with their methods is one thing, but they certainly made a difference this year. Uh, flash forward again to 1986 um, when they banned commercial whaling altogether. Again, rejected by Japan, Norway, and Russia. Yeah. But in that in that um, convention, there was that loophole for scientific research. There's right. also, I think, always been exceptions for um, indigenous groups, too. Right. Um, but the, uh, the, the big loophole was the, the scientific whaling one, and that's the one that they continue exploiting. Because everybody's like, we're not doing any commercial whaling. We're just uh, licensing... Issuing scientific whaling licenses to these commercial whaling outfits. Now, earlier you said the United States still does. Was that, is that just indigenous peoples? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there was something. I couldn't find out what happened, man, but I saw this like chart of whaling. And from since 1986, um, it's had an impact. Oh, yeah. That, that convention, that treaty had an impact because if you look at um, overall total kills, mm-hmm. um or they call them catches. <laughs> it's declined just tremendously since then. Yeah, it says thirty-one thousand since the ban was put in place. Yeah, and then I saw for nineteen for two thousand nine, around eight hundred to nine hundred killed for the world that year. Yeah, compared to forty-six thousand in Antarctica alone. Right, which is pretty crazy. The key is is whether that number can be kept down in pace with the if that can outrun. The decline of whale populations so that there aren't any extinction events right. before whaling just ceases or before the um, the stocks can be um, stabilized, I right. guess. Refurbished. Yeah, I think there's like a real definite like race against the clock thing that's going on right now with whale populations. If I remember correctly, when we did, it must have been when we did the, uh, the uh, Swim with the Whales podcast. Yeah. I think I remember something about the way they reproduce or reprodu- reproductive cycles really long. Oh, yeah. So they have a hard time reestablishing. It's not like they're having little whale pups every every year or two. Yeah. So that probably has something to do with it. And I think they stick around like with their parents, too. Like they raise and nurse their young for a very long time as well. They're just like deadbeats in the basement couch <laughs> Pretty <much>. waiting around. <laughs> Listening to Pink Floyd. <laughs> you like Pink Floyd? Oh, yes, I do. Okay, there's two. I do. Thanks, man. <laughs> the doors in Pink Floyd. Very nice. So what does the future hold, Mr. Clark? Well, not being a prognosticator myself, <laughs> I don't feel comfortable predicting the future. But I don't know, man. I was surprised by the um, that that uh, news report that you, you gave me, like that the Sea Shepherds right. were having like that kind of effect. I figured that they would be 
a nuisance, not an effective activist militant group. Yeah. Well, they uh, mixed it up a couple of years ago, too. They rammed each other, supposedly. Yeah, but I got the impression from this article that it was like, all right, I'm on board your vessel, and I can't really do anything. And they're like, well, we can't do anything either. And You know, it was like right. that That encounter was a um, the a representation of just that, like the I, what the IWC does with whaling. It's like there's nothing you can do, really. Right. No one's able to do anything that has a real impact, but apparently they figured it out. So what happened was in 2010, they claimed the Japanese ship rammed the Sea Shepherd ship, yeah. sinking it. And so the dudes from Sea Shepherd went aboard the whaling ship. Yeah. And that's when they just said, we can't do anything, so let's have a tickle fight. Pretty much. He was going to make a citizen's arrest. <laughs> Come on. That's like one thing. If you don't carry it out, you don't tell anybody you were going to do that. Right. You know? Like, I'm going to make a citizen's arrest. I was going to. <laughs> you should just tackle them or something. I'll bet that that was all over Discovery Channel, too. Yeah, probably so. Um, so anything else? I don't have anything else other than to say, uh, you know, if this is important to you, pay attention. Yeah. Because there's always, I think they met just last year about this again. It's like an ongoing battle to keep these regulations in place. So Yeah. Oh, I've got another one. Let's hear it. Um if you root for whales, you should check out the story of the Essex, which inspired Moby Dick. Um, it's the only known ship to have been sunk, apparently purposely, purposefully, by a whale ramming it. Wow. A whale rammed it, turned around, got speed and rammed it again, and ended up sinking the Essex and sent like the 20 crew members on like this horrible journey. Um, where they were adrift in the South Pacific, and they avoided islands that were close by because they were afraid of cannibals. But in their attempt for South America, they began to starve and resorted to cannibalism themselves. Wow. Yeah, the Essex. That's an ironic twist. Isn't it? I've never read Moby Dick. Can you believe that? I do. I have not read it either, so. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, we need to get that done. Okay, let's go read Moby Dick right now, Chuck. <laughs> okay. Um, while we read Moby Dick, you should learn more about whaling. You can type that into the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, which means it's time for listener mail. Uh, Josh, I'm going to call this a good organization in Austin, Texas, which we were just at. Yeah, we were. And um, this is sent from Patrick, who is at our variety show that okay. we threw. Yeah. It said, uh, great show, guys. I was pleasantly surprised with the quote-unquote acting in the pilot by y'all and I look forward to tuning in later <laughs> quote unquote acting is accurate exactly uh, They uh, he's involved though with a new nonprofit, and I told him we would plug it um, retreat R-E lowercase capital T-R-E-E lowercase T see where we're going here T-R-E-E T retreat okay not T-R-E-A-T okay uh, they plant trees. Oh, okay. Um, they are a kaleidoscopic group of bicycle and tree enthusiasts with strong backs, sharp minds, and big hearts. Wow. Who volunteer to replant communities. Uh, the group formed in response to the Bastrop uh, wildfires that took place during the summer of uh, 11. Oh, wait, you can't say aught 11. <laughs> it's only below 10, isn't it? Yeah. So embarrassing. Um, just outside of Austin, Texas. During two days in January, retreat. 
uh, America planted over 200 trees and put 80 miles on their bikes. Um, They're heading back to Bastrop for another round of tree planting, March 23rd through 25th, which is right now. So by the time this comes out, that'll be uh, be over. Yeah, so. But you can still support them uh, by going to facebook.com slash retreat with two E's, America. Uh, it's a brand new group. They're trying to spread the word. So just a little awareness is what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have some mandates here. Uh, one is to plant as many donated trees, uh, native trees as possible, for homeowners affected by natural disasters. Two, harness the spirit of volunteerism that exists in everyone. Harness it and beat it with a stick. <laughs> Number three, enliven communities socially and economically in the aftermath of disasters. Number four, stimulate stewardship and invigorate a local desire to rehabilitate the damaged land. Stimulate it with a stick. Number five, spread proper tree planting and care techniques. With a stick. <laughs> <laughs> Number six, foster appreciation for uh, and involvement in uh, aboriculture. How many uh, d- lists of their de- how many demands do they have? They have one more. Oh, okay. Um, encourage the use of bicycles within the urban environment. Finally, we get the bicycles. <laughs> so, Patrick, uh, y'all are doing great work. Austin is one of our favorite places now to visit. And Retreat America, you should support. Go check them out. Nice, if you're a man. bike person or a tree person. Nice. Or if you hate trees and you love your car, then there's probably an organization for you. <laughs> Dude, we should also give a shout out to the contest winner who we met and hung out with. Yeah. Caleb. Uh-huh. Uh, Caleb, uh, did he sign a release to say his last name? Oh, we'll just say Caleb W. from Dallas. Yeah, he came out. He won the uh, House Stuff Works Facebook contest. And um, he came out, hung out with us. We, we, went, we went out to lunch. We yeah. took him on a tour of the office. Took him out for a very nice lunch. Uh-huh. Um, that resulted in food poisoning for me. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. And um, it was uh, it was very tasty, though. Yeah, and he went to, um, I followed up with him. He did go to the King Center after he left us. Yeah, he was keen on that. Yeah, he went, he'd been studying uh, the life of Martin Luther King and was excited to go visit. We uh, told him how to get there, and he went, and he went to the King Center mm-hmm. and his uh, original house that he lived in. Yeah, it's like all in the same area. In right? his church, I think, as well. Yeah, a pretty easy. So, uh, yeah, he checked it all out, and he said it was really cool. It was very cool. So... Caleb, we're glad you were here. You were a really nice dude. Yeah, you really were. It really could have gone a different way, and we were very fortunate <laughs> that you were the winner. That's right. So congratulations to you again. Um, let's see, Chuck. Whaling stories? Do you think anybody has one? I doubt it. All right, let's find out. Let's hear your whaling story. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can uh, join us on Facebook at Facebook.com, stupidtimelinefacebook.com slash stuff you should know. Um, and you can send us an email at stuffpodcast at discovery.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?